This is Care Less, Do More. Welcome back to Care Less, Do More. I'm excited to share with you this conversation with Elise Sogstead. 11 years ago, we started Safe As Clinics together alongside Jackie Peso and Ingrid Backstrom. Safe As is an intro to Avalanche Awareness Clinic. Before we dive into this episode, I just wanted to mention that registration is open and we're hosting clinics at Palisades Tahoe, California, Solitude Mountain, Utah, and Stevens Pass, Washington. You can use this course as a refresher or your very first class. It's taught by all of us and is incredibly beneficial. To all the listeners out there, now is the time of the year to get your education. No matter how you do it, visit safeasclinics.com to sign up with us or find courses with your local Avalanche Forecasting Center. Avalanche Awareness courses also pair super well with your first aid course. That's just a side note. All right, let's dive into this conversation with Elise Sogstead. She's always made me level up in the mountains, and it was a true pleasure to get to sit down with her today. This podcast is brought to you by Peak Skis. Peak is a newer company based in Bozeman, Montana, and founded by Bodie Miller. Bodie wasn't just the winningest male ski racer in North American history. He was also a ski designer who contributed to the invention of modern side cut and a slew of other innovations that skiers now benefit from. Bodhi won a lot because, in large part, he understands skis and ski design. Peak exists to drive innovation and think carefully about gear. I had the pleasure of taking out a pair of the Peak 98s today. First thing in the morning, I woke up early, I got there for first chair, and it was so much fun. Groomers are absolutely underrated. And the skis performed exactly as I would imagine coming from Bodhi. They were a carving delight, they held a firm and stable edge, and initiated the turn with ease. I was so hyped to be on a pair of peaks. Bodhi's on a mission to create product that makes skiing more fun for everyone, and Peak is an extension of that way of thinking. Check out Peak Skis and get curious about what's to come with this company as they're truly invested in creating a better way of making skis. We've got Elise Sogstead today on the podcast, a third-generation Alaskan who grew up in a small and beautiful ski town called Girdwood. At the age of 18, at the age of 16, you were one of the best female downhill racers in the country. She attended the University of Nevada, Reno. She won the 2008 Freeride World Tour, basically winning every single stop on the tour that year, shifted to filming, and entered the TGR collab contest in a field of over 40 men and you were one of the only you were the only female to make it into the final her edit was self-produced in a very determined and kind of scrappy way with a little with very little funding but hit the internet and blew up you were absolutely sending that year <laughs> i remember that it was big and it was very impressionable since then you've filmed with numerous of the biggest production companies becoming a staple in matchstick productions teton gravity research films you've won best female performance for powder awards two times, and I have three, three times. Married to Cody Townsend, who arguably goes smaller, and recently started a family with the addition of Indiana or Indy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, gosh, it's been quite a ride. <laughs> a life of skiing. Um, and look at where I'm at. Pretty exciting now to have my own ski family. Yeah, totally. Indy's absolutely adorable, but we'll get to him in a minute. Yeah. Um, you grew up in Girdwood, Alaska. I'm pretty curious what it's like growing up in a small ski town like that, surrounded by giants. Uh, growing up in Girdwood, I mean, it felt so normal because it was Alaska. It wasn't 
like Girdwood was a smaller town than Anchorage because I also spent time growing up in Anchorage. And due to my parents' work, I actually lived in some other towns um, around uh, Alaska. Like my mom was an electrician and my father was in construction and those kind of jobs, there'd be jobs all over the place. And so like I'd spend a summer in Fairbanks or Soldatna and Kenai and start a school year in some random school and then move back midwinter when their jobs would always wrap up for the season because uh, Alaska is very seasonal with their work because there's uh, what they call winter and then breakup season. <laughs> and so, season. yeah, because it's, it's like summer so short and, you know, breakup season is just, yeah, everything. Yeah. The, the winter, um, kind of that idea that, that it's just always very permanent. Um, but yeah, so growing up in Girdwood was really fun because I remember I would, during the summertime, I would leave for the day and my my parents didn't worry about me and go and play with friends and then be back at the end of the day, which I think to some degree is still pretty normal for a lot of kids. Um, I remember when it was not s snowy, so like at the very end of the school year, uh, probably like May when I could bike to school, that was really nice um, because school was about a mile away and it was the kind of town that you could just do that. I don't know. It was... And then speaking of living in those mountains, I mean, yeah, I think you don't, you don't realize what you have as a kid until you get older and you start traveling. And so when I became a teenager and I started traveling quite a bit for um, ski racing, I really got a taste of the, that Alaska was an amazing, very special place. And I loved it. And I remember graduating high school and so many of my friends being so stoked to get to go to college elsewhere. And I remember kind of saying to them and thinking also just, you guys don't even know what you, you have, you know, wait till you leave, you're going to realize how amazing Alaska is. It's just that I felt like I got that through my teenage years because I did get to leave all the time. Right. So... Yeah, I, I mean, growing up here in Tahoe, I think I was so involved in team sports that I didn't really discover Tahoe as a playground for being just outside in general until after high school. Right. Do you feel similarly there? Yeah, and I also think about, too, the progression of our sports gear has ma makes a big difference. Um, I remember mountain biking in high school as a great way of training for skiing, but the mountain bikes we're just not as great as they are now. Totally, right? there's probably way less trails. And exactly, and so, um, you know, there wasn't, you went and did it and it was enjoyable, but it, it didn't have the same allure to it that it does now. And I think the same way with skiing. Back then, the gear didn't make it so you could just go out touring. You know, it was it, that or you were a tele skier. And even that, the, the gear was incredibly heavy. It's not like tele skiers were just going backcountry all the time. And so because of that, um, I didn't look at the mountains in that way. Um, but, and then to take that a step further though, I was so into ski racing and so passionate about it that was my focus in the mountains and I loved it. Um, I loved powder skiing too. Um, I several times missed race starts because I was skiing powder and <laughs> we like that. We like that. Yeah. And I, my parents did it. <laughs> yeah. 
my sure. parents didn't yeah, like it at totally. all. <laughs> They're like, oh my goodness, you know, because my parents were really hardworking people and they, they did whatever they could to make sure that I could do my sports and they didn't worry about driving a fancy car and having a super nice house. They just wanted to make sure that their kids were provided for and given them all the opportunities. So when you have a kid doing a ski race and then it's an expensive sport and they miss a ski start, well, that kind of definitely irked them a few times. But <laughs> but I will say, you know, it, it was very, uh, it, it probably was a good I don't know, preclusion to what was, what was to come in my life. Yeah. So what was your specialty within ski racing? Uh, speed. Yeah. Speed events as I be, as I got more into it. Well, you know, actually once you, you know, when you can start racing, um, fists, uh, I actually was better at slalom. Um, and even GS, I mean, that was kind of how I really, but, but I immediately, but then that's also cause you don't start speed events at, you know, that super young age. Totally. Yeah. Um, I think I left racing at 15 and we weren't competing in downhill at that point. Yeah. We not, were training it, yeah, but yeah. Yeah. I remember doing my first downhill race. Well, once, once you became of age to move up into juniors in Alaska, the, there's a ski race series. I, I don't think they have it anymore at Alaska, but this race series, it was, you know, the full, downhill super g gs slalom event in december and i hadn't even really started training with the junior team yet i had just come out of mighty mites and i was in this downhill race and i remember having like three layers of like sweatpants stuff under my downhill suit i was so scrawny and tiny and i remember oh standing gosh. at the top and if you uh, the downhill rate the downhill at Elieska is pretty intimidating it's a really good I don't know, a, a really good downhill, especially to, for, uh, for a junior to get, for sure to get into. Does it end at the bottom of the resort? Yeah, it does. That one in December, they usually only do half mountain, which is still over a minute long. The yeah. one from top to bottom is over two minutes. Um, but I remember standing at the start being so cold, having never trained downhill before training run, watching one of the older girls go. And there's this one hit, um, and she just sailed and took it to the flats. And I remember thinking, oh my God, you've got to be kidding me. Um, but like anything, you know, once you start doing it and the more you do it, the less fear you have. And then I really kind of took a, a hankering to it and I, I really enjoyed it. I liked trying to get better at speed. And maybe I liked it a lot too, because some people were fearful of it. And I saw that if you, that was um, an advantage you ha you could gain by by overcoming that fear yeah. and um and really doing well so even though i was kind of on the smaller side i didn't let that get to me and, and does that overcoming of the fear just mean like you're dropping in with way more confidence and you're like yep i got this ex i'm not afraid exactly exactly and and i got i really wanted to get really good at the air I yeah, thought it was totally. so cool. That was the coolest part. It's the coolest part to watch on TV, you know, like especially back then, you know, it's like you're watching a World Cup race, the Olympics, and you watch them send it and like, oh, I want to get good at air. Um, and yeah, so you 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 become what you want to become, right? Yeah. Um, so you tell yourself enough that you're not scared and you go do it and you'll do it. <laughs> so you graduate high school. Are mm -hmm. you at this point like looking to go down the path of being a professional ski racer? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping to make the ski team. I take a year off after high school uh, to, and I moved to Sun Valley and raced with their race program. 
um, just so I could be traveling more for ski races, much easier being based in the States versus being up in Alaska. And also they just didn't really have a continuation program up there. And I had another friend or two that were also doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tried that, but I got pretty burnt out on racing that year and decided to go to college. Um, I originally was supposed to go to Bates College in Maine. Um, I had deferred. And in, during that deferment, I realized, you know, it's a, it's a D1 school, but because it was a private school, you, I, you couldn't get a scholarship for athletics. And it was so incredibly expensive that it just, I could tell, even though my parents were really happy and wanted me to have the best uh, education and, and, you know, do the best for myself that I could, I could tell it would be a hardship on the family. Right. Um, and so I ended up switching to, well, switching in the sense of like deciding to go to University of Nevada, Reno, excuse me, University of New Mexico. Oh. And I got a academic scholarship there. So I didn't even have to worry about ski racing. Cause like I had mentioned, I kind of got, I actually got burnt out on ski racing that year too. I just wanted to move on, mm-hmm. try something different. So was there anything in specific, like specifically that burnt you out? Uh, I mean, I just think the, the grind of anything, you know, you just, sometimes you kind of lose that like extra passion edge. And I just had, I think it stemmed too from having a lot of friends from back home in Alaska who went to college Mm -hmm. and like that year I hadn't gone to school and I had so many friends in school and I had a, um, a boyfriend too that had gone to school and, um, I just kind of felt like that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. So you go to New Mexico. Yeah, I go to New Mexico. And that is where I didn't have a chance to ski at all. I didn't have means to get to the mountains. And not to mention that so many people that go to that school don't go there to ski, right? Totally. Like you're not to find someone that wants to go skiing or something. So I just, it was such like a, a, a 180 of my life. And it was interesting too that first year trying to find myself because I had revolved around sports and ski racing and whatnot. And here I was in this school and no one looked at me and saw me as a skier. I was just another old student. Totally. You know, it's like trying to find your identity in yeah. college, like, which is what everyone's doing ultimately. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But having had such a stronghold in skiing, like yes. and then to not be going to the resort every single day or whatever, that yep. break must have been quite the shift. It was. And so right there at, during that time, that is when the free ride scene also really started to happen. And notably, right here in Tahoe, um, Palisades, formerly known as Squaw, that was where the free ride scene was. So some of my friends from Alaska had got, were going to school at University in Nevada, Reno. And I happened to, on my spring break, come visit them. And I got a whiff of the free ride scene and like skiing in a whole different way. Like just, even though they're in that circle of friends, there were people on the ski race team and stuff. Um, but I just, this free ride thing was so tantalizing. Yeah. And, uh, so I ended up long story short of how this happened, but I ended up switching to university of Nevada, Reno and, and I had missed skiing. Um, I really did miss actually doing it when I went to school, uh, university of New Mexico. So I, when I switched schools, then I started to get back into the whole ski thing. Um, I didn't have any intention of wanting to become a professional skier um, after I graduated. I just 
loved the scene though, you know, and like what, what it was all about. Mm-hmm. And what were you studying? My major was uh, international affairs, um, which essentially was setting me up to do international law. Yeah. Um, and I minored in Italian. I did, I did a study abroad in Italy for a year. That was pretty fun. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I fully was into the whole want to go to law school and international relations, that, that type of um, international politics was very intriguing to me. Similar to Emily Harrington. She wanted to go to law school. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> Couple of smarty pants up in here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sweet. So you're like in Tahoe. The Free Ed World Tour is happening here. You're kind of getting injected into the scene or at least seeing it mm-hmm. and, and loving it. Mm-hmm. And then you're coming up to Palisades and riding, I'm assuming. Yeah. Well, when I was in in college, I actually had to pass a Kirkwood. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a... That's pretty far away from UNR. Yeah, but they had a good deal they had a good student pass palisades didn't have a student pass palisades was really expensive um back in the day you know for normal the old pass system didn't have didn't offer student passes so it wasn't just me it was my whole posse of friends we all had passes to kirkwood because it was just a couple hundred bucks for a ski student ski pass yeah so um yeah that's where we went and it wasn't until after i graduated um that when I eventually moved back here, because I went back to Alaska for a year and went and lived in Australia for a little bit and stuff too. Um, when I moved back, I wanted to move, live in the mountains and live at Palisades, mm-hmm. live in the valley. That was like my goal. So you graduated college and you weren't directly going to go into the workforce. You were like, no, because I need, I was going to go to law or I, I was planning to go to law school and I was thinking, okay, well, I'm going to take a little time off to have some fun, um, study for the, the LSATs, um, and then deal with, you know, the whole, yeah, trying to get into law school and stuff. And then it was during that time that, um, one year turned into two because the year I went back to Alaska was such a crappy ski year. And, oh, like I said too, I actually did go and live in Australia for a few months. I wanted to go experience the lifestyle of living at a beach and learning how to surf. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I moved to Tahoe, I was, I was like, okay, I'm going to start studying, blah, blah, blah. But then literally that year was kind of getting my feet wet in the whole ski scene and meeting Cody. Um, that was actually, that's one of the pivotal things to help get me into the whole um, trying to <laughs> become a pro right skier. Turn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really was. I love the story. At least I've heard it from his perspective, but maybe you can retell it how y'all met. How we all this. met. Yeah. Well, how we very originally met is in Vegas because SIA um, used to be the, the snow sports show, in, uh, the snow sports, excuse me, the, the yeah, the um, ski snowboard show used to be in Vegas. Boy was, I, I kind of wish it was still in Vegas. The heyday, totally. <laughs> I kind of do. Like I think I was in Vegas recently and I thought, God, it'd be nice to have a reason to come back here for that. Anyways, I digress. Um, so we, we did actually meet there. Um, and we, we hung out and to the point where like I was, I, we weren't hanging out like smoochy like, but, <laughs> but because it was funny, I was there, another girlfriend, was, I was there to party, like, it's like, we're in Vegas, I'm not, we're not worried about boys, um, and I actually had convinced him and his buddies to stay an extra night, because 
I was just working it left and right of getting all these hookups to these clubs and things. And, and I was like, oh my gosh, you don't want to miss out on this. To the point too, where one night, this is really funny. One night we're going out and we have this, this group of them and these guys, so we're with um, Cody and, and his buddies. Um, we've got a few girlfriends and then we've got, um, and Scott Schmidt happened to be a part of the crew. Yes. And we get to the nightclub at Caesars Pure and all these guys aren't wearing the proper shoes. Oh, Cody and his crew. Yeah, and Scott Schmidt. Mm-hmm. And they can't get in. Oh, no. And and I turned to Katie. I'm like, I don't care. We're going in. <laughs> Katie's like, it, which is really funny because my girlfriend Katie is so not and doesn't care about the ski scene. She she was born and raised in Arizona um, and now lives in Hawaii. She She's like, if my boyfriend knew that we were ditching Scott Schmidt to go into a club he would kill me. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Ah, who cares? <laughs> like, we're going clubbing. We're going clubbing. It's not my fault these guys didn't get nice shoes. So we ditched Scott Schmidt and Cody and crew because they didn't have nice shoes. Um, but anyways, I convinced Cody to stick around for another night to party him and his friends, and they went and bought shoes. No way. Yep. So awesome. <laughs> They're like, we got to get shoes. Yeah. If we want to hang with the least, we got to get nice shoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we, we rallied the crew and it was fun. But anyway, so about like a month later, or so back in Tahoe, we finally kind of connect again and we totally hit it off and we're hanging out and whatnot, but we haven't skied together yet. And when we finally decide to ski together, uh, set something up, it, it, it was a powder day, which, you know, for me, I didn't think too much of it like why would a guy care if he's gonna ski on a powder day with me because i am a really good skier totally <laughs> like, right you, this, like, this is not, not, a, cross not even across my mind mm-hmm. and if anything like i'm i'm thinking too like this guy better be a good skier because um i had dated guys that that were not at the same level and it always ended up bothering me and this, those guys never lasted, you know. So <laughs> it, <laughs> there's something about it. I don't know, you know, like for some people it doesn't bother them. For me, I wanted a guy that that I could be out on the hill with um, being pushed by. Yeah. Anyway, so so we're out there. And, um, you know, as the day goes, it's like, okay, we, we take the first run together too. And it's like I'm we're just skiing together. You know, I'm keeping on his tails, no issues. We send some cliffs. It's super fun. You know, Cody, Cody is realizing like, oh my gosh, this, this chick can actually keep up with me. Well, at one point though, we get in the lift lines and of course there's Scott Gaffney, Shane McConkie, JT Holmes, and they all start heckling the crap out of Cody. Yes. Oh, skiing with <laughs> girl on a powder day. Loser. What are you doing skiing with a girl on a powder day? You know, like fully heckling them so hard. Just typical like you would expect. Classic. Then. Totally classic. But I never met these guys. Like, right. I, of course, I've seen them in the movies and I know everything about them. But I hadn't met them. I'm like, oh, my God. Your friends are dicks. <laughs> like, what the hell? Totally. I'd be so bummed. And I was kind of bummed. Too. I'm like, but I'm not a bad skier. You guys have no idea. You know, but not realizing, like, they're re- it's just, that's just what they do. Totally. And, All in good um, fun. Yeah. So I thought it was, you know, then down the road, it, it was a nice redeeming thing. You're like, okay, I can hang with you guys. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but I did think that, that his friends were dicks. <laughs> I feel like if I were in that situation, I'd be like, oh, let's go. I would start shit talking back and then 
just try to beat them down the mountain. For sure. Well, you know, but then the, like the lift line, they're in a different part of the lift totally. line. You're not skiing with them. And I or mean, like at least spray them really hard on the way down. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but it, I mean, if you, if you actually have the chance, I mean, I don't even know how you would run, you know, like you're just different <laughs> totally. points of the mountain. I, I just, yeah, I, I think like, I didn't know what to say. If anything, Cody should have said something. He was probably sort of embarrassed, yeah. but he kind of stuck his ground. Obviously he didn't ditch me. Yeah. Instead, he fell in love. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest is history. And the rest is history. Now we have a kid. <laughs> so how many years ago was that when y'all met? Oh, like 17 years ago. 17 years. I think so. 17 going on 18 this that's year. That's a long time. Mm-hmm. Wow. It is. I know. We. It's at the point now where it's like, wow, that's like half a lifetime. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy. Which is really exciting, though, too, because when you find your partner that you just have the best time with, it's exciting to know that you've had that much time together and you've experienced so much in life together yeah yeah was Cody a full-on pro skier at that point or no he was just getting his feet wet um he had filmed with Warren Miller already at that point um but he that winter he was filming with Matchstick actually Mm -hmm. but that didn't go super well for him you know he was he was cut from the movie yeah. And he didn't find out until we were at the premiere. Yo, I've been And I been was sitting there. next to him. I've had that happen to me, too. Yeah. Like, you think you have shots in the movie and you show up with your friends and then you don't. You don't. I mean, he was, like, in tears. Yeah. And I, I mean, but that was one of those moments where I got to help pick him up. We've, we've had that For each other. All yeah. the way. And I remember being, like, don't let this get you down. It's just use this as, fi- you know, fire, fire you up. And totally. Um, and he did look at where he's at now. So. Yeah. Yeah. So we've all been yeah. there. Yeah. All, <laughs> yeah. Totally. And, you know, honestly, I think, like, to get to the top of sport and to get to the top in life and, and anything that, like, it's not easy. It's, like, in, in it's, you, it's really good to have those moments, those lows, those low moments and learn from it. And it's what you make out of those low moments is what you become, what, what defines you. Mm-hmm. How do you move forward? How do you not say, um, or how do you not give in? Right. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, I'm sure everyone has their story along the way for the most part. Yeah. They're humbling too. I think like, I mean, I'd be hard pressed to, to not say that every professional athlete has a bit of ego going on. Like there's something going sure, on that makes you the best, right? That yeah, drives you. Drive, yeah. And those moments are like times to check yourself too mm-hmm. and be like, okay, mm-hmm. I have to work harder. Totally. They motivate, motivate totally. you. And that's why um, you'll see in sport too, the people that can be sometimes the most talented don't necessarily end up being the best. Um, I think that's actually pretty quite often. You'll find a lot of people that become the very best in their sport have put in the most work. Yeah, and probably dealt with some hard hardship along the way. Yeah, or, or and and or there's some reason they've got a chip on their shoulder mm-hmm. to help. They got to prove something to help keep that drive going. Yeah, because that's the one thing I, I don't know about yourself. Because you've been doing this, even though I'm a lot older than you, you've been a professional skier longer than I have. Um, and what I find fascinating is how we keep doing it and keep finding the passion for it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, 
and and not hanging on just because you just hang on. It's like yeah. actually still finding the love for it and what you do. Um, After so many years. I think for yeah. me, it's constantly almost reinventing myself or finding yes. different avenues that intrigue me and I can dive in and learn something about it. And mm-hmm. I'm always like, oh, when I'm done being a professional skier, what am I going to do? And and I, you can kind of set yourself up for that mm-hmm. in our industry. It's mm-hmm. like, I always joke, it's like super cliche, but we went to the school of life through skiing and skiing really prepared you for mm-hmm. so much outside of being a professional athlete. Yeah. And I also think that like a lot of people perceive what we do as like just spending people's money and going skiing. And, and like there's a lot of selfishness in the pursuit of being a professional athlete. But at the same time, like we're small businesses and we work so hard yeah. to like maintain all of this. Yeah. Especially the people that have been doing it for a long time, you usually have to, you probably have other stuff that you've been doing to keep things going. Um, I was literally thinking about this yesterday because, well, now having a child and viewing time um, so differently and, and how much more precious it is. But back when I was a teenager and was traveling all the time for ski races, um, like for instance, my senior year of high school, I missed the entire month of March. And I was going to a normal high school. I wasn't going to a school that had any kind of special programs for ski racing or anything. In fact, I went to a normal high school that like, you know, there's only a couple people that ski raced. Yeah. Um, in general. Was that in Anchorage? Uh-huh, in Anchorage, okay. yeah. So you would commute an hour every yeah. day? Yeah, well, by the, actually by the time I was in high school, my family had um, moved back to Anchorage and we just had a, a like a cabin in Girdwood that we would go to on the weekends Mm -hmm. um so I had to well in fact I take I'll go back even one my junior year I homeschooled for my junior year but I didn't homeschool with a parent my parents both worked my parents let me do homeschooling and teaching myself (laughs) that's epic and I you know I think that you had to discover some drive to learn and motivation in high school wow exactly um and but I, it's because I really wanted to, to ski race and travel and whatnot. And so I learned it at that young age of how to try and you have to, your time is your time. Like that's when you have to get stuff done. You shouldn't have to have someone tell you how to get stuff done. This needs to be done by the, et cetera. You know, like yeah. you, you just, you become self-sufficient in learning how to learn and, um, do and things manage time. and manage yeah. time. And so now I, I was thinking, like I was mentioning, I was thinking yesterday, like, wow, I've really kind of learned how to do that. Or I learned that at such a young age that it's really set me up because our jobs are on ourselves. You, we make whatever we make of our time and what we put effort into. Um, so it's pretty easy. Like we could just sort of ski um, that's how it used to be. It, that's how it used to be. It is <laughs> harder. Instagram, I, th- I think it is. That, yeah. I, do, I agree with you. I mean, I think it's a little harder in that regard, but there's still plenty of people we know that really just kind of ski and they, you know, and they have their stocked up photos or videos from the winter and they just kind of throw stuff on the, the gram, um, in the, in the off season, but aren't really doing, creating things outside of that, you know, taking on projects, events, that sort of thing. And, um, and that's fine, and that's that's very enjoyable, but it will shorten your career. Totally, yeah. I think, too, our jobs are kind of, like, there's no boundaries within them. It's not mm-hmm. like it's a nine-to-five. Like, I find myself waking up super early because i yep. got to send these emails out and then 
going to the gym because that is a part of our jobs and then coming back and like hammering on the computer until mm -hmm. like 10 p.m. and I'm like, yeah, the amount of days that you do that actually, mm -hmm. yeah, a lot of stuff that you don't necessarily see. Yeah, I sometimes I have to set boundaries for myself Big of um, not working on a weekend per se. Yeah. Um, you kind of taught me that because I would work on the weekends and be like, this is great though. Yeah. Well, it is. And, and I still do it, but there are times where I really try to like not do it as well if I am hammering during yeah. the week. But sometimes there's um, a day during the week where you're not getting work done. You're doing other stuff, fun stuff, whatever. And you're like, well, you know, I mean, I, you make your schedule how you want. Yeah. There's um, a lot of freedom in it, which is a beautiful which thing. Which is great. Yeah. yeah. But it is, it's, it's very much like you have to be self-motivated. And I think like you said today, as a professional athlete, you probably should be involved in many different facets of the industry and giving yeah. back to the community in one way, shape or form. Like when yeah. I think about like, who's really selling product, mm -hmm. it's the people that are facing the, you know, that are like in-person events are like a huge deal like through our avalanche clinics or even going on movie tours, like you're talking to people, you're interacting with the consumer. Like that's who I'm buying gear from mm -hmm. straight up. Like for climbing, I buy stuff that Emily Harrington recommends and for other things too. Like I'm talking to people about that and admiring people in said sport. And I want to like buy that product because they're using it. But if I don't admire them, like when I think of my heroes in sport, it's more about who they are as people mm -hmm. often yes and their accomplishments yes yeah yeah there's definitely people in sport um that i really can admire um what they've achieved and who they are but i don't really find that fascinating mm -hmm. or like not someone that i would want to actually hang out with um and yeah it, but but because of what they what it took to get to where they are and what they do, well, I mean, I'm quite impressed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's some people that yeah don't need to name names, but but like <laughs> but when I have people come to mind of that, that I, I think like wow, what it took to get to where you're at is really impressive. But I am not going to um, yeah, you're just not that interesting of a person, or I don't like kind of what you you put out there mm -hmm. um yeah you, fair what, enough what your facade is yeah um so we kind of skipped around this but you're you're living in palisades you meet cody mm. what was your first entry into the ski industry the first probably real situation um that that hooked me or that literally like like hooked me, not, not like of interest, but actually got me was Cody was a Solomon athlete at that time. And they had, um, a sales meeting. And I remember back in the day, so they bring like all the athletes out to sales meetings and it would just be a big, these fun events and parties and stuff. And so they brought him out, um, to Deer Valley and it, I got to go with them. Um, awesome. and when I went skiing one day with them, um, one of the guys afterwards was like, Cody, your girlfriend, she's really good at skiing. Like, can we get her, you know, like what, what's her interest? What's going on? Can we get her some gear? <laughs> so cool. And so that's how I got my very first, um, and, initial sponsor um, How old were you? Solomon oh gosh I mean 27 mm -hmm. oh wow I didn't realize it was that late yeah 26 27 yeah 
somewhere in there. Um, yeah, because I, you know, if you, you add up all the years of like, took a year off after high school for I went to college and then I, I went to college, but I did a study abroad for a year and I switched school. So college actually I did in five, it took me five years. Mm-hmm. And then I did another year after that, you know, living in Alaska and Australia and then, I don't totally. know. It all starts to add up real yeah. fast, yeah. Um, which I don't regret any of it because, boy, amazing life experiences sure. I had. And so, um, uh, yeah, I can look back on things and be really happy with everything I've got to do. I don't feel like I missed out, but it started my ski career pretty late. Um, and because of the nature of big mountain skiing, that was not really a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, were they the ones that said, Hey, do you want to compete in the free ride world tour? Uh, no, that was me taking that upon myself. I think Solomon was fine. Just flowing me some gear and, and whatever. Um, I don't really quite remember if I had to do anything else for them truly. Um, you know, it's just kind of like seating gear to ambassadors, you know, local resorts, like whatever. Um, it was the next year. Cody was the one that really convinced me to compete. Um, and, it made a lot of sense because that would be a way to get my foot in the door to try and really kind of give not so much even the pro skiing thing a go, like like becoming a solidified pro skier, but more just, I don't know, giving it all a try of like, how totally. is this all going to work out, right? Um, and because I had competed so much through my life, like it, it made sense. Yeah. Um, so I competed in my first event that I did was at Palisades and it wasn't the Fred World Tour didn't exist till the following year. This is the the US free skiing tour, um, IFSA. Um, actually, and then they it was the free skiing, they called it the World Tour, the free skiing world tour. Remember, they have like the same acronym, but it's but right. a, different tours. Yeah. Um, because kind of like once the Fred World Tour started, then it, the the IFSA one pretty much disappeared. Um my first event was at Palisades, and I was the first. I drew bib one, and <laughs> pressures on. Yeah, well, and I didn't think too much of it in that regard, but like I did my run, and I skied a very pretty conservative run for myself. Mm-hmm. And you don't get the results till the end of the day, and you, I saw the results, and I didn't even make the cut to get into the finals, mm. and I was livid because, for one. I, I, I watched everyone's runs. Like my run was good enough to get in, but I was a no name. You know, they probably weren't even watching my run. I saw that they, you'll see the scorecards. My scorecards were all over the place. Meaning some judges watched, some Mm -hmm. judges really didn't. And I remember calling up Cody. Cody was out of town. I was crying and upset. Like this is bullshit. You know, just like so pissed off. And Cody's thinking, oh my God, what did I do? Oh, oh this, no, this yeah. is so, it's so wrong. But this is one of those pivotal moments that really helped lay the groundwork for my career because I realized at that point, yeah, okay, so maybe I didn't get judged in the way that I should have been judged, but I also didn't ski to my full potential. Right. So I went to the next event down in, um, down in New Mexico in Taos. In Taos. And I realized that you just have to give, like, you, you lay it all out. Yeah. You don't hold anything back. Just go ski how you should ski. Don't worry about the other competitors. And um, I did, and I won. Yes. 
And um, so I took that moment of being so devastated and so pissed off. And instead of walking away, being like, this is BS, this judging thing sucks, you don't get judged fairly. I, I looked at more like, well, what could I do better? Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, the rest is kind of history in the sense of like, I just figured out how I needed to ski in competition. And yeah. then the next year I did the Fred World Tour because that's the first year the, when the, it started. And, um, and yeah, and that went really well and won the tour. And did you win every stop? <clears throat> I won three out of the four stops. Yeah. And then one of the IFSA um, US free skiing tour stops that year. How did that feel to win the entire free ride world tour? It was great. It was a really, I, I had set this goal when they came up with that tour and it had been announced. I remember just like, oh, this sounds so cool. And, and like when she watching video, the Verbier extreme, and that's a part of it. And this whole European thing, and it was going to be all these European athletes or who were, um, invited. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't even actually, because it's an invite only, um, right. Athlete list. And I wasn't, on that list, I hadn't had enough credentials or however they weighted the credentials to be on that. But they did a wild card event at Mammoth before the first event mm. and um, got my spot, you know, like won the first day and maybe ended up in second, but I got, I solidified a, a wild card spot to the, the tour. So it was like this whole thing, like this, like I got to get a wild card spot, then I'm going to go to the tour and I want to win it. And it was because of, of just going back to this, like trying to solidify myself in the industry, improve yourself. And then I also thought for career wise that if you have the title free, um, world free skiing champion, that, that, that has a nice ring to it, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah. when you're trying to be introduced for thing, whatever, like there's totally. so many things, like if you're a world tour champion, no one can take that away. And it's just like this thing that, that people can relate to, even though they can't relate to yeah, it. It's a like, competitive thing. It's like you placed first in the entire world. Exactly. So if you walk into a room of, um, a bunch of, I don't know, a, let's put us down in San Francisco and you're walking to a, a, a room of tech guys, like. They may not have to know much about skiing, but if they hear a world tour title, they're like, cool. Okay. Yeah. So that yeah. means you did like something cool in your sport. Totally. So. Yeah. Anyways. Okay. So you win that, you have sponsors. Yeah. Solomon's your sponsor. And then did you continue to compete or? Um, I competed for another like year or two. Um, yes. Um, but then I started to make the transition to, to filming. Actually, I started, I got to film that first year I won the tour. Um, I got to go to Alaska with Rage Films. Oh, cool. And that was my first taste of um, getting to film in Alaska. Right. Maybe a little much for like really kind of your first go at filming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> going know? to Alaska straight to up. Alaska. Yeah, yeah. But when you're young and... and uh, Hungry. I mean, I talked to so many young athletes that are like, I just want to go to Alaska. Yeah. And in my mind, I'm like, uh, well, I took a lot of steps to like eventually get yeah. to go there. Yeah. That seemed appropriate. But having said that, like I went to Alaska with Brooklyn Bell this year, and this is her sixth season ever skiing and she was dropping into like massive faces so i think yeah it can go either way but it definitely stepping stones help increase your chances of getting shots there yes i didn't get any shots the first year i went there yeah yeah not a single yeah i i got a couple but i mean considering like not really i mean yeah you just i think in my head too i mean i was i was so i was on this high of like um 
one, I, you know, I just won the tour and two, like I'm from Alaska. Like totally. these mountains don't intimidate me when I look at them. Like, yes, I've never gotten into a helicopter be- to ski before, but I'm not, I, I, you know, I'm like, I'm ready. Yeah. And literally the very first run, um, and Cody was telling me, you know, don't get caught by your slough. And I'm just like, <laughs> shut up, Cody. Like, don't need you (laughs) telling me what to do. Like I'm Alaskan. I know how to ski Alaskan mountains, whatever. (laughs) What happened to me on my first, like, like three turns in slough taken out by my slough. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Just, yeah. It's a steep learning curve. Oh man. It gets the best of you. Yeah. And that's the thing about Alaska mountains is just, they don't care who you are. They don't care what your ego level is at. They, nothing. You get spanked. Yeah. Yeah, either hitting cliffs that are way bigger than you thought or getting taken by your slough. Yeah. I've learned those lessons both the hard way. Yeah. And continue to learn them. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) And now it's just this this mentality of like, yeah, I don't know. I kind of always think like how you just have to keep the... um, the speed go, you know, like the fire lit under your feet, like, like hot potato on the mountain. You just got to go mm-hmm. <laughs> like and go fast. Don't go fast. Totally. Speed is your friend. You got to fully commit. I feel yeah. like if you half commit, that's when you get into trouble. Yeah. Or if you drop in with nerves or something like that, like I got to be fully in the zone. Yeah. Um, okay. So they tell me about the TGR collab contest. Yeah. So that contest was a way for me to, put get a segment into a movie that makes DVDs so I could be nominated for best female performance at the Powder Awards. So back then Powder had this thing where like that one um that one caveat to it of like you to be nominated had for to be best in segment, a movie. Had to be in a movie. It couldn't be because back then, you know, couldn't be an online edit. Started to come out online. Um I had done some stuff with Solomon Freeski that um was arguably decent skiing, um, but because it was online edits, they w- it didn't count, even though it was done by a production team and cost just as much money as doing something for a ski movie. But um, Lindsay Dyer wanted, she came up with the concept to do Pretty Faces, um, but this was in its infancy and ended up taking two years to do the project, but it started that year. And so because of that, I was like, oh, this is really cool to, actually, this is before the collab even um, came about. I thought, this is a great thing. I would love to be a part of this. I'll start collecting footage because that was just kind of the thing of going out and skiing with friends and trying to get some footage. And then part of the way through the season, I could tell that this movie wasn't going to come out this year, that that year. Mm-hmm. And... Um, not till the following year, I'm like, well, I'm starting to sit, gonna, I'm going to have some good footage. And then it dawned on me because the guys were talking about the TGR collab contest. And I'm like, well, I didn't at first even think about entering because why would you enter against a bunch of men? Like mm-hmm. that just seems like the odds are so against you. Um, and, but then it kind of dawned on me like, well, wait a second. If you, that's when I realized the whole, oh, but you could, if you end up as the top, uh, top 10 or top five, whatever, you're going to get into the DVD and whatever. And mm-hmm. I'm like, you know what? Why not? Why not give this a go? Who, you know, whatever. I don't care if I don't win. I just want to be a part of this contest and see if I can get into this DVD 
Quick break from the episode to talk about one of our sponsors, Arcteryx. Arcteryx headquarters are located in the world's largest temperate rainforest in Vancouver, British Columbia. The gear is tested in the harshest environments and designed to withstand the elements. With product that's built to last, I like to think of Arcteryx as an investment that will outlive other apparel. You're purchasing something that will stand the test of time and live for many adventures, mountaintops, trips to the crag, and days on the hill. Its design team are perfectionists, fanatics, gearheads, outdoor lovers, but designers first. And pretty much every single employee that I've ever met at Arcteryx appreciates the outdoors and participates in the activities they're designing for, which means a whole lot to me. They're forward thinkers making what I consider to be the very best gear out there. I mean, they literally invented the waterproof zipper. Hot tips I'm gonna add in there is take care of your gear. If your jacket and pants are dirty, look up how to wash them and waterproof them and do that before you're out in the elements this year. Your outerwear is far more functional when it's clean. When it's dirty, it's less waterproof and we want your gear to last for more than just one season, thus lessening the environmental impact. And um, I like how you keep calling it getting into the DVD. <laughs> I know, really hammering home on my age right now. <laughs> but but that was like because that was just such the thing, you know, getting into the movie for sure. Because um, anyway, so uh, you know, it, it was great. It, it kept by the end of the winter. I was pretty stoked on the footage. Um, and you like self-funded your filmers and yeah, everyone too, yeah, right? Yeah, Did you have yeah. sponsors supporting you for that? Or were you like... No, because this was the year where things with Solomon got a little funny of their support and they had decided to start trimming and being a female, that's one of the first places they're going to cut. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was getting no support from them. Yeah. And they were... I was head to toe Solomon. I mean, I had like Scott as a sponsor and... Uh, I don't know what else, but stuff that like just really, I, I yeah. don't know. You just didn't, I wasn't making any money off of. So yeah, it was self-funded and, but going out with friends where like, I mean, uh, that we were kind of filming each other. Yeah. And, um, and then also there's a few days Cody came out, you know, and pointed a camera and, um, that's why the edit is in black and white. Oh, because there's so many different so cameras. So many different and, like, yeah. shot and crappy shots, totally. <laughs> and and the guy, our buddy, um, that decided to take it upon himself to edit the movie for me. And I think that, like, one of the, the, the things was, was, like, well, if I win, then, like, I'll give you, and some of the filmers, too, like, I'll be splitting prize money with you for sure. Right. Um, and that, yeah, he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this stuff all black and white. <laughs> <laughs> like okay that's cool and it kind of yeah. had a cool thing to it anyways Did you film this on your flip phone <laughs> yeah <laughs> totally god anyway so uh all came together um and yeah and it, it went well um and got into the movie and um and then it to the the finality of it all i remember like okay this is i'm finally gonna have a chance to get nominated for powder words and then um Stifter at the time, John Stifter, who was the editor at the time, told, it wasn't even me. I think he, he told someone else like, oh no, this can't be nominated because this is just an edit. No. And we're like, no, 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 no. It's in the movie. There's a movie. There, it's in the movie. And so I think it was, I don't know if we ended up having to turn to TGR for them to make sure the movie was submitted so then that right the, yeah the, the intricacies that all of us could be nominated which was smart you know then in, that must have happened we had to like 
somehow help that happen because then other things got nominated and stuff. But um, I just remember kind of being like, what? Ah! Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and in tears, you know, because especially like after spending so your money, hard yeah, to try and get to that point. And you were simultaneously working a catering job, right, at that time? Oh, I, I mean, oh, probably. I mean, I worked in the restaurant industry on and off, and there was a few years I think I finally kind of didn't have to, but I'm sure at that point, because I had kind of, yeah, been kind of cut by. Um, well, not fully cut by Solomon, but just like pay was definitely reduced mm -hmm. that I'm sure I think I had to do other jobs to help make it for yeah. sure. Yeah. And then, and then I didn't get the solid cut until after I won. Oh, fancy that. <laughs> fancy that. <laughs> so you get nominated through this edit. Mm -hmm. I remember it. Cause I think I was trying to remember, like, I don't remember meeting you. I remember like being around you and Cody, we mm -hmm. weren't super tight back then, no, no. but, um, I think we had a mutual respect. And then I remember yes. that year of you going out and filming and knowing how much effort you were putting into it mm -hmm. and being like, damn, like, I think I was filming for matchstick and you were just out there doing the thing. And I'd see you occasionally in Whistler or mm -hmm. whatever. And I'd be like, so much respect. Like you're just, you're self producing this stuff like well before that became a viable option to me in my mind. Mm -hmm. yeah. It was very progressive. It was yeah. like, that's why I said mm -hmm. in your intro, it was scrappy. You were yeah, like, I'm it, doing it this. Was, like, it, was, it was scrappy because there wasn't actually, there wasn't really money behind it and there wasn't legitimate filmers behind it. It was like going out and just trying to get footage. And that was the thing. It's like, if you have, if the ski shots are really good, the cinematography is secondary, right? You know, yeah. and that's why it's nice when we've gone out, when we get to work with these great cinematographers and the, the, the and these, the film crews in general, these companies that there's times where they're making the shots way better than what we just skied, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And we can rely on that sometimes. And sometimes the latter. Nice. And it is <laughs> so totally really, sometimes yo, the latter. That cliff was way bigger than the way you shot it. <laughs> yeah, totally. That happens just too. Kidding. No, well, no, no, it does happen. It, yeah. It's a give and take. But just knowing sometimes that like you can rely on sometimes having or having a couple different angles in, in the way that yeah. can really help things too. Tie it um, together, but lengthen you, that segment. But when you are just Get those going, incentives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. But when you're going out with your buddies, it's pretty limited of getting those angles and what you're doing. But it was fun though. I mean, it's- But proof that you can do it. Yeah, and proof you could do it. Yeah, and with little grit. Little grit, and I think, I, I'm, you know, I would like to see, I still haven't seen, you still see guys still going out and, and getting stuff done. I still have yet to really see too many young women. The blondes, that's how they got oh, their start. yes, thank yeah. you for reminding me of that. No But worries. I'm saying it's in general, like, it's something I still haven't seen very much of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we and could do more the blondes of that. and the blondes were, that's why they became what they became because. I remember seeing them and like I had, no, I saw them at Revelstoke. I think you might've been there. It was on a matchstick trip. Yes. And yeah. I was like, who are these girls? Yeah. I just want to ski with them. Yeah. And then I skied with them that day. And then I looked them up and I was like, the blondes, they had like a beer sponsor and a bunch of <laughs> shitty sleds and they just went out and filmed each other and, and made it was like so raw hilarious and so edits. fun Hucks. and just having the best time. Like when you watched it, you're like, I want to be there with totally. them. Totally. Yeah. And it, they're everything about it was just palpable, you mm -hmm. know, of like the, the fun, the rawness, et cetera. Yeah, no, that's why those, those girls are where they're at. For and sure. I'm so stoked. 
Yeah, shout oh, out man. to Tanya. She just won best female segment of the I year know, at IF3. So rad. Very worthy segment. I watched it the other night. Yeah. Um, and Matchstick, all of them though, they're all coming into their own. It's really cool to see. Yeah, it is. But I it think is. that's like one thing that I'll always tell younger female athletes is like take initiative. Yeah. We have a tendency not to do that. And yeah. you're never going to get anywhere if you don't raise your hand or put yourself out there. So take initiative. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot more opportunities, though, with, with film companies in general, though, of now. women getting, yeah. For sure. So but it was not always that way. No, it wasn't at all. But there is now, and it is. Um, so it, it's ni- it'd be nice to, yeah, I, I want to continue to see girls getting out there and getting after it. And Definitely. Not waiting for a phone call. Yeah. You can do it on your own. Elise did it. She's proof. Then we found ourselves sitting, was it in Salt Lake that year? The Powder Video Awards? I think it was in Salt Lake. I remember it pretty vividly, Elise, because I'm pretty sure I blew my vocal cords when they announced that you were the best female skier. Do you remember how loud I screamed? (laughs) Oh, in Salt Lake, that one? Yes, I do. God, that was such an amazing moment. Um... I, okay, I, I realize like it sounds very non-humble because it was a, a moment where I was winning an award. But here I am sitting with you and Ingrid and Jackie. And, you know, Ingrid is just the queen of our sport. I mean, it's like she helped lay the foundation for what we've done. And at that point, too, you've already had, I think you've already won Best Female Performance and have done some great things in the movies. And it was so neat to feel like, okay, now I have my moment with you guys, and you guys were, I could feel you were so genuinely happy for me. It wasn't like, oh, she won it. Okay, you know, like, I should have won. You know, it wasn't that. It's like, yeah, you know, it's it's this camaraderie that I felt at that time that we all have, but sometimes in those moments where there is an award, that's when you can feel maybe... The opposite side of that. The opposite side of it Especially back in the day when we were relatively pinned against each other yeah. in the industry. They really would pit us against each other. But, so man, I remember being so happy. Like I, I get know, the chills was, thinking about it, it now. It was so exciting. Yeah. I, it was what, that was really fun. <laughs> that was and awesome. it was wonderful too, because Cody wasn't there and you just um, had the girlfriends and it was a big moment, you know, because so much went into that. Obviously we just talked about it for quite a while of like what it went into that. And mm-hmm. it was like a big goal to ha- that I had and set for myself and achieved it. And so it's so much better to have moments to share with people in the excitement, you know, it's um, totally, even though it's personal, but like, no, you want to celebrate, you want to celebrate with people. It's all about being with like friends. When people say the whole, um, the slogan of like, no friends on a powder day. I, I think that. it's the worst, most stupid slogan. Yeah. Seriously. High-fiving a friend at the bottom of a powder run is way better than being by yourself and be like, <laughs> Good thing I don't have any friends on the powder day. <laughs> I'm gonna do that again by or myself. Next to each other and just yeah. like hooting and hollering. hollering. Yeah, oh, sending cliffs and like getting each other to step up and like yep, yep. do something stupid and fun. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. So we started safe as before you won that award. Then hey, yeah, we did. Mm-hmm. Okay, it and was but it was like kind of right around the same time. Yeah, like actually. that maybe was our first year, first year or second year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I vaguely remember getting into the big Red Bull bus that we had on tour for Safe At, like straight from Powder Awards. Yeah, it's like that night. You mean the next morning? I remember that ne- it was the next morning. Yeah, the we next were morning. So haggard because because <laughs> our girl won yeah. and we put up, <laughs> <laughs> and we had just done like yeah clinics. Oh yeah, like oh yeah, s- we did clinics in Utah yeah. and then went to Powder yes. Awards and then continued on our yes. tour. Yes. 
Totally. Which was a lot. Yeah. Because those, the safe as days are really long days. Yeah. Yeah. We're putting our energy out there. So we started safe as it basically stemmed from a conversation that we had after you were caught in the avalanche in Stevens Pass. Yes. And we won't go into too much details about that avalanche. I'll like open up the door for you to share whatever you want to share. But um, yeah, I guess I'll just start that there. Yeah. That summer we were hanging out a lot. Uh, I remember doing a lot of yoga and other sporty fun things. And um, one morning we, we were having coffee and decided that we should start our own clinic because we saw a niche that wasn't being, um, you know, I don't know, we just, the ski industry wasn't paying attention to of, of a niche of like something, a female focused um, introductory level clinic, you know, because at that point you have an AVI one class or really it seemed like nothing. And AVI one classes are, they're three days long, they're, they're time intensive and they're expensive. And we just realized that, uh, sorry, I just brain farted for a second. That's there. okay. I think we all recognize that, yeah, there was a space that we thought we could help benefit others come in with like support I don't know yeah, and, and it, encouragement and, and encouragement and just something where like people could get their feet wet like they didn't you know did, like I, I want I think I want to backcountry ski is this really you know what I, what should I do let's get educated and we I think we thought too that by bringing um like our crew together that we could entice people um, to come want to hang out with us and, and get educated to and yeah. to want to learn and, and have a really fun day out of it and create an environment, as you were saying, for women that was very welcoming and in a place where you wouldn't feel like you'd be judged um, by how much you did know or didn't know at that point, right? Yeah. Um, so I think uh, it made a lot of sense. And we we pulled one off and it was such a hit we're like hey we got to keep doing this and we got to expand and we're going to start touring with it Mm -hmm. and and here we are going into our 11th season yeah pretty amazing it is it's really amazing (laughs) we were young when we started that and that that really stemmed from debriefing on that avalanche and kind of talking about it and all of us openly sharing our experiences in the mountains Mm -hmm. as women and kind of coming together and recognizing that that having something that was more female specific at that time and place in mm-hmm. the industry for sure was needed. And I think, and as I mentioned, we're not going to go too, too in detail about this avalanche, but I will link in the show notes, the um, amazing New York times article that, that gives a very good description of that avalanche. Um, Snowfall by John branch. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it, the beauty in that was that we were all openly sharing together which it it happens a lot more, I think, in the ski industry now than it used to, but with all due respect to anyone and everyone who opens up and share, because Mm -hmm. that's like one of the most valuable experiences we can all learn from. Yeah, really. um, The thing about that avalanche too, I'm I'm grateful for, um, that sounds horrible, but hear me out, um, that because it became such a, it was a national media news event, um, and we were really put under on the spotlight. And um, and then 
so you really had to like kind of figure out what is it that happened here. And then when we decided to do safe as, and I got to do that TEDx talk, I had to kind of really dig in and realize, look at it really objectively of like, what went wrong? And like, what did I contribute to that? Like, not just look at it as like, oh, what the group do is like, well, wait a second, you were there, right? Mm -hmm. What did you, why were you there? Why did you put yourself in a position? And what did you contribute for the the group to make these decisions? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's it's not an easy process when you have to become really objective about a, a tragic event that yeah. you were a part of. Yeah. Um, and so I'm thankful for having gone through that where we've seen other professionals who have been caught in avalanches and no one hears about it. You know, we hear about it because it's, it's talk amongst, um, behind, you know, behind the scenes, but it's not stuff that's made public. And it's unfortunate because it's good for people to know that this stuff does happen all the time. Yeah. How do we how do we mitigate it and then also learn from it? And then you know when when someone's like pushing it away and not being upfront with it, they're not learning from it to themselves, which is right. unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. This is to all those who have openly shared, thank you. Because mm-hmm. we all benefit from it. Yeah, thank you. And it's it's good for everyone. And to be quite frank, like if you spend this much time in the mountains, mm-hmm. it's likely gonna you're gonna be involved in a rescue or have a close call mm-hmm. or see avalanches. Like it happens all the time. Yeah, the the people that are caught in the most avalanches or that the deaths are um like expert level, quote unquote, skiers. They're not, it's not beginners. It's not people that just learn and are just happen to be out there. Like it's people that think they know what they're doing and most likely do know what they're doing. A lot of times it's just sometimes, um, you get caught, you know, we're human and to be human is to err. And we try to take all that out of it. Right. But that, that comes from constantly re-upping your education. So, you know, if you're a listener right now and think about when was the last time you took an avalanche snow safety course, you know, has it been a couple of years? So if it's, well, you should actually do it every year, but, um, but think about that. You know, when was the last time you did that? Um, there's, there's constantly new information. Um, even in the 11 years, like we're going into our 11th year of teaching safe as we used to teach like Abbey level ones used to be a lot more based around snow science and they've developed into being taught a lot more about human error and heuristics. Yeah. Human factors. Yeah. And that's because like avalanches are unpredictable. We can obviously look at the layers within the snowpack and try to do our best, but ultimately we are the ones that are making the mistakes when we're in the mountains. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yep. Get educated, refresh. Yeah. When this podcast airs, we will be open for registration for safe as clinics (laughs) little, yeah, just throwing this in there. It's an amazing clinic though. It truly is. It's a really good stepping stone to get more education. We started it to hopefully encourage people to get their avalanche level ones Mm -hmm. and continue that. But basically it's an intro to level one where we teach the basics, Mm -hmm. like what, how to pack your pack, how to use all of your equipment. We focus a lot on companion rescue, which is huge. I always say like, I like to do companion rescue drills at least once a month throughout the winter and I take that really seriously mm-hmm. yeah yeah um, and even if even if you can't join us for safe as or whatever but but find something do something go go get your hands dirty with some re-up in your education or practicing with your gear um, forced to do it and not just like 
kind of turning on your transceiver and kind of bopping around with it. Like go through like an actual rescue scenario and 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 try and have someone screaming in your ear that Definitely. their friend is buried. Yeah, we turn into actors, actresses when we're out there. Like I start pretending, yeah, we become a part of the scenario and it's really fun. Yes. <laughs> it's fun for us, but we take it, it super seriously. We do. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. It's been 11 years of doing that. I think we've taught over close to 1700 participants now. Yeah. Yeah. That's which great. has been awesome. High fives. High fives. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm stoked on that. Um, amazing. So yeah, you win best female segment of the year. Now we're flashing back and then you start filming for Matchstick. Yeah, finally get the call. Um, and it was really funny because it happened to be, I got a call from them and from TGR in the same year. Oh, awesome. <laughs> like, Everybody wanted a piece of Elise. Well, but it, it, it wasn't even, it just kind of like finally people were opening their doors to more than one female in the movie. And it yeah. wasn't that like I was some hot thing like I had one it had been a while since I had one best female performance this is like several years down the road from that you know like it, oh no it, kidding it, yeah it wasn't that it wasn't like that was the catalyst to all of a sudden you, I get all these opportunities now it was like um it literally took a few years and it just for whatever reason some things kind of played into well I guess do you want to work with us this year you know right. like it wasn't um so yeah um and and for the listeners, I think like it, especially from mine and Michelle's standpoint, where we came from, and maybe that's why it's still such a big deal to us. But back then, like that was kind of the only way you could be seen and make it as a skier, um, is by getting into one of the top dog movies. You know, nowadays it's so different of how there's so much different styles of media out there that you can arguably. Um, make a name for yourself without having to be a part of one of the the big film companies but I think it really kind of felt like something you had to be a part of to like truly um, make it for sure yeah um, but so I was very grateful that I finally got the opportunity and I definitely um, really took it to heart because it helps it helps your career to be a part of those movies yeah yeah so when it seems like when you were younger, like you didn't really see a future as being a professional skier. No, I think I just had this mindset where a traditional lifestyle, traditional, um, you know, I, I, yeah, yeah, going down to a traditional field, being doing something where that was like a lawyer sounds like you know a really good thing to do and be and you know very respected and mm -hmm. you know make good money be a good profession. Um, and I don't think being a, a professional skier ever even dawned on me, especially in the way that we do it, you know, like right. not even like a, you're a ski racer or something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, it, it definitely, I didn't expect to be here where I'm at. Um, but I'm very, very happy that it, it turned out the way it did. For sure. Yeah. It's cool though. Like flash forward to where we're at now like there's so many women that come up and they're like yeah that's what I want to do I mm -hmm. want to be a pro skier yeah where like I didn't really have that in front of me no. as an example no there were certainly women that came before us but I don't think they were given as much media attention as as we were and now as the women today yeah. are too yeah I think it's it's a societal thing too and it's the evolution of women in sports in general yeah um you know there's a couple of sports uh particularly single sports where women kind of we're able to become professional, like tennis, you know, that that's like this very 
the most obvious answer. And that's the highest paid female athletes in the world are tennis players. Mm -hmm. Um, But in a sport, sports that are male dominated, um, especially our kind of sport where it's, it's a very subjective sport. You know, it's like, even though, yes, I've, you know, won a a Freeride World Tour title, that by no means says that, like, I was the best in that sport at, you know, because Freeride is, there's so many different, there's just different facets um, to being a, you know, when you're looking at, like, the, the outdoor extreme sport world. For sure. There's a lot of genres within free skiing. Yeah, there is yeah. different ways to go about it and filming because that's what's like even in Europe, between European and, um, <clears throat> and North Americans, you know, in, in Europe competing is what makes you. And in North America, what makes you is being, being in the movies, star. being totally. a movie star. So, um, yeah, it, it's all very subjective. And that's kind of the cool thing too, though, because we're, we're really what we are. We're just marketing tools. Yeah. We're marketing tools to sell products and hopefully, and that's, that's why it helps to have personalities and things because we appeal in different ways to different people and the different styles of skiing. And like you had said earlier, you know, you look to people, um, that you want to buy product, you know, like in other sports and things. And I'm the exact same way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like what is, what is she using? Yeah. You know, I really yeah, like the way you feel an she... attachment to them. They're relatable in some way, shape or form, Yeah, whether it's aspirational because of <clears> what they're doing or for me, it is so much about the personality. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of want to rewind to that moment. Like you win best female segment of the year and then you get dropped. And there seemed to be mm-hmm. this moment in your career where there was struggles as a female skier. Yeah. And I'd love to open up that conversation. Yeah, right. Cause you would think by this point, like, um, having a Fred world tour title and then winning a, a movie segment, best performance segment that, that that would be like, okay, no brainer sponsors are going to like, cause like, yes, as we said, things had eroded with, with Solomon and, um, and no ill will there, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, my my Cody's sponsor, longtime sponsor, and I have a good relationship with Solomon. We all it's get just, drops. We too. all it happens. It yeah. totally happens. It's business. Yeah, it's it's business, and it it is what it is. Yeah. Do I think they made the right decision? Of course not. Yeah. <laughs> but Fair. it's okay because you know sometimes too with companies like that, you just look at it as like. Like, like it was a breakup, like a relationship. Like, it feels like, like that sometimes. Yeah, it does. It's like, well, it was a boyfriend that like, damn it. Like I want him to, why, why is this not working out? He should still like me, you know, but, but like, <laughs> yeah. but really it just, it hadn't, it had eroded. The relationship yeah. had eroded and it made sense to, for both parties to move on, mm-hmm. you know, at that point. It's just kind of an ironic timing, timing because yeah. it seems like, wow, I had accomplished quite a bit in those couple of years and yet it didn't make a difference. And they, you're they not were, getting rewarded for it. I wasn't getting rewarded for it. And, um, and that's, that's fine. I mean, it, and so yeah, you just, you want to be with a company or with, you want to work with people that, that are going to be receptive um, totally. to what, you, what you're offering and supportive and stuff too. Right. And, and it's great because now like the relationships, partnerships I have now that have really stemmed from all of that um, are wonderful. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and I get great support and I feel like, um, our, yeah, it's a, it's a good spot to be in. So that just happens. It's yeah. life. I bring it up only because this year I spent a lot of time with a lot of women and 
it felt like, um, even just in talking to them openly, like they certainly weren't aware of some of the uphill battles that we faced when right. we were in the beginning of this right. industry. And I think it's interesting and important to learn from and talk about openly that we've overcome that stuff and mm -hmm. we've hopefully created a pathway where these younger women aren't experiencing those walls. Yeah, I agree. I think I that's happening. It is. It totally is. And especially visually um, in the movies, there's more women in the movies, which means um, that those film companies are giving more opportunities, but that also means that uh, the sponsors, the ski companies are valuing women more. And so they're telling the ski companies, we need you to film these women. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's it's a whole silical um thing but cyclical i know i said cyclical cyclical like, cyclical <laughs> can we cut that we're cutting that no please. we're not we're yes, keeping we're that cutting in here that. No, it's like the one that. time i get to correct what? you and your grammar what <laughs> no i say stuff wrong all the time i'm like i say it and i'm like i just said that wrong why did i say that out loud yeah yeah fair oh i do it God. so much it's um it's part of being human it no is. it's not you were almost a lawyer so we're good um right <laughs> um but yeah, Cyclical. there were struggles Thank back you. then. There's lots of struggles, and I but I still think there's struggles. I do think that totally. I still, you know, I I think that pay uh, inequity is still quite uh, prevalent. Yeah, I, I still think that like, um, I yeah, that women don't get equal pay. Um, I, I there's some sponsors that are that are better about that, mm -hmm. um, but not all. Mm -hmm. And I think that's still a fight, but it's a hard fight to make because that stuff, the way our industry works, it's really not known how much we each get paid. Yeah. It's in our contracts. Like they make it so that like, because it'd be helpful. Like if we had a union, honestly, yeah. and it would be more like other sports, like the major sports where you know how much so-and-so is getting paid. That's all part of it. And that's all part of the system. Yeah. Um, and it, it doesn't make those people like not like each other you know the other athletes like because i think sometimes like oh if we started talking about our pay i don't want to create any like uh, a negative environment between us right right but because of the way the system has been put in place of we have to keep it so quiet we're supposed to not talk about it etc that's usually like i said it's most contracts they have that in there you're not allowed to talk about yeah and if you don't paid. have an agent then you're guessing and how you're much guessing you're worth. and um yeah so it's uh it it sets us up for not well yeah we're not succeeding in the best possible way when it comes to getting paid but i think that also really allows these companies to still have uh, an equal pay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. Um, okay, so flash forward. Mm -hmm. We've talked about a lot. You are recently a mother. Yes, the new exciting thing in life. Yes, That's, and it's so exciting. It is, it really is. Yeah, Elise lives like less than a mile from me. So, well, when back in the day when you guys first moved in, I remember intentionally showing up around like 5.30, 6 o'clock, right before <laughs> dinner time, because Cody's an incredible cook. Yes. You are too, but uh, he no. really... <laughs> he's a different level. It, yeah, he's it, amazing. And I'd be like, hey guys, how's it going? Yeah. Just here, just passing by. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, oh, do you have enough food? Sure, I'll stay for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, now you have Indy. Uh, we do. Yeah. Uh, it's so exciting. He just turned one years old. Uh, he's an absolute joy. Um, I'll second that. Well, you know, it's, it's 
parenting, it's, it's very patience trying. We're in this phase right now where him eating is difficult and it takes 30, 40, 50 minutes to sit down and try and get him to eat some food. Mm-hmm. Um, that, yeah. And he's just flailing and going crazy and having spaz moments. But, um, besides that, <laughs> he sleeps through the night. It's great. I don't, it's a constant evolution with these kids and it's so new. I mean, I wasn't someone that was a baby person before we had a kid. Um, and I, I like kids a lot, but I, I wasn't that person like, let me hold your baby. You know, yeah. it was the, I, I wasn't really privy to all the things that went into having a baby. And mm-hmm. so it's so new to me, um, at this phase and, but it's really exciting. And I didn't think anything of it, of like being really excited about this baby phase. I think when I envisioned having a kid, it was like, oh, when they turn three and they can talk and do things like that'll be great. You right. know? And then as they get older, but, uh, I've absolutely been loving all of it. That's so awesome. It is really cool. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, did you know like for a long time that you wanted to have a kid? Yeah. Cody and I had always talked about having kids. I mean, God, we I mean, even in like the beginning of our relationship, it's just that it was kind of always put on hold uh, because of our careers. And I think that we were getting to a point where I was going to literally, we were going to maybe start. He was always really patient uh, because it really would put more hardship on me. And it literally was around the time that getting the phone call from Matchstick and TGR that um, like, okay, let's get, I want to actually do this. Do this. Yeah. And then, and then, a couple years of that, like, you know, you got to give it some time and like put in the effort and, um, you know, and finally getting those opportunities. I'd worked so long to try and get an opportunity like that. You didn't, I didn't want to just pass it up. Yeah. Pass it up and and step away. So, um, so I went with that and then it was kind of like, okay, we're getting older. We got, we got to finally do this. Yeah. (laughs) Let's do it. (laughs) Yeah. And I've spoken with Emily at length about like, maintaining strength throughout your pregnancy and kind of continuing to do what you want to do. And I think that that's kind of this, it feels to me, and I haven't been as privy to like women and pregnancy, um, until like right about now when a lot of my friends are having kids, but it is important to maintain strength and, and, and heck, like you were skiing in Alaska when you were pregnant, Yeah, which is amazing. Yes. Yep. I, I know I'm really excited to show Indy when he's older, like that, that film segment from that TGR movie, <laughs> I was pregnant with you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, but it's different for every person because as my pregnancy, like I'm watching Emily right now, who is, I mean, she's due in a couple weeks, um, as she's going so hard and I watch her. I'm like, Oh my God, I was so tired by this point of that point in my pregnancy. I remember it felt more like bare minimum of exercising. It felt phenomenal. And I, I definitely didn't not do it, but it just, I remember feeling really tired and watching her and being like, wow, she is a total beast. <laughs> it's in her nature though. Yeah, yeah. We're all different. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that really just came to like listening. You just have to listen to your body because right. people react differently in different pregnancies for the same, you know, for um, the same woman can even be different and things. You just have to go with it. And so as much as I think one of the learning, that was what was hard for me. It wasn't so much, oh, you, you can keep pushing yourself. That wasn't the problem. It was me being like, it's okay to be tired. Yeah. You don't always have to push yourself. Yeah. That was. And accepting that. That was my big learning moment. Right. From being pregnant. And then even kind of postpartum when, um, it took a while for recovery and, and realizing taking it 
being being okay to take it slowly. Mm-hmm. So from what I understand too, and this is I'm totally green in this space, but mm-hmm. I have a lot of baby practice after this last year, which has <laughs> been so fun because I am the type of person like if I walk into a house party, I'm like, ooh, dogs and babies, I'm here. <laughs> like yeah. screw the adults. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. but uh, like that after you do give birth, that moment in time is like it's for recovery. Like you just yeah. went through one of the hardest things in your life, so yeah. like give yourself a break and and allow space and time to recover right well and um in my situation i ended up having to have a c-section um emergency c-section and that's a surgery and it's so funny because even still like after having that it's like having to remind myself no you went through a major surgery of course your recovery is going to be super like if you had a knee surgery or anything else where it's like cody saw my guts laying next to me on the table right (laughs) Yeah, so wild. Which I, I, I'm glad that wasn't the reverse. I, I don't do as well with that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I I think it was an accident too, right? It it sort of was. Like I don't. I think it sort of was, but he still, yeah. But he was fine with it, and it didn't. um, I know I probably would have passed out if I were him. Right. Um, But yeah, you know, it, it was a major surgery, and and you have to give it that mentality. But it, I think it's just hard because as women that are people that, I don't know, you you don't want to step away. You don't want, like, you want to keep, like, a normal injury, too. You just think, like, I'm just going to immediately get back on it. I got to, but this is, but, but postpartum is different because not only are you trying to recover, you're also only getting snippets of sleep, Mm. for months Mm -hmm. on end like it's all like because one of the biggest parts to recovery is giving yourself relaxation and rest totally like sleeping that's a huge part of it and you're not getting that and you're like you have your hormone levels are all super crazy in the sense where um you know so many things are suppressed so that your body isn't even going to let itself recover in that way it's all focused on making sure this baby survives yeah and uh And so it can just be hard to really take that in when you're like, I just need to come back from this. I'm going to be strong. And I thought too, because I had been so active through my pregnancy and kept in shape that it would make things really easy on the flip side. Mm -hmm. And that really wasn't the case. I mean, yes, I think you do have, you're in a better spot than someone that isn't. Right. For sure. Yeah. Uh, It's just But it was still really hard. It was not what I expected. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I I mean, having, giving birth is so effing crazy. I just was texting with a girlfriend yesterday. She just had her, their second kid, probably about a year. Their second kid's probably about two years old now. Mm -hmm. And she's going, she just had her like eighth surgery, um, because things got so messed up. I, I don't need to go into details, but let's just say that whole pelvic floor region got so messed up. She's had eight surgeries trying oh. to put things back together and it's still, that's where she's at. Yeah. And it's just stuff that you don't hear about. Totally. Ever. But it's so common. When Once I had a kid and started talking to people, I heard so many horror stories. Well, they're not horror stories, but they're kind of horror stories when you hear what people go through in birth. And it's just, thank God for modern medicine. And, and you know, to those of you that have had birth at home or think about it, and and if you that went well, you know, 
good for you. That's amazing. But I know so many people that like, I mean, in my situation too, it, mm. it's, it's a life or death situation, you know, for you or the baby right. and or the baby. And, um, so thank God for modern medicine. Yeah. Yeah. And now, I mean, we've talked a little bit like while you're breastfeeding, you can't necessarily put on the muscle mass that you're used to being able to. Right. Right. Um, so you're like a year out and you've flipped the switch. He's eating solid foods, yep. taking a sweet time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, uh, but now are you starting to feel like more yourself and more like you're coming back into that yes. phase of your life? I yes. Guess. He sleeps at night. So I get sleep and he's, I'm not breastfeeding anymore, which is, um, it's a wonderful thing. I'm really glad I got to experience it, but I'm also glad that I'm moving on for it on from it for my personal self, because as you were just saying, um, I didn't know that f- this fact that your hormone levels are in, in, as such when you're breastfeeding that your testosterone is suppressed. So you can't, that's what makes you not be able to gain muscle mass. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, it, and things are just different. So yeah, it's, things are finally getting back online. I'm so excited to go into this winter feeling like in a good spot. Last winter was just hanging on for dear life. Mm-hmm. I remember we spoke, like we usually have these great catch-ups that last for hours on the phone, just periodically throughout the winter, checking in on each other. And you had just gone on your first photo shoot and you were like, oh, we were filming, but I really wish we weren't filming because it was so hard. I didn't feel like myself. Like yep. <clears throat> it kind of, I don't know, it's really helpful to hear that and to talk about it because it's like we all have to just go easy on ourselves and not have these huge expectations, especially after going through childbirth. It is hard to not put expectations on yourself, but it's also hard because we are, we always want to do the best job that we can. And we're working with, you know, our sponsors, like, yeah, some of them understand and some of them don't really understand because a lot of the people that work in the office in our industry are men. Mm -hmm. And, um, they don't really truly understand what it can be to come back from this, you know, what the expectations truly are. People understand having knee surgery. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're out for nine months, but but people don't really think about the birth stuff, you know, and and well, because y'all are the first wave of, of women too. I mean, Ingrid and Hillary and there's, Mm -hmm. there's a few people that for sure came before us, uh, mm-hmm. Kimmy Fasani, I'm not yeah. even in this conversation, but um, you are all kind of the pioneers in our sports and action sports right now of maintaining sponsorships after you give birth and after you start a family, Yeah, which is so new. And what are your, pro- what do you think about that? Like, what do, are you driven to continue with this career? Are you like, where's your head at with that? Yeah, I, I am. I think I am as a mother. Um, I think that's, uh, before, before we jumped on this, you and I were discussing what keeps us going. Um, we've been professional skiers for a pretty long time now, and there does need to be some sort of thing that makes you tick to want to keep putting effort into it. What was I say? Oh, we're self-made. That's what I was trying to say. When you're self, a self-made business person, it's um, when you're a self-made business person. I don't remember what my point was now. I was going with that. When you're... We've been doing this for so long. And you're a self-made business person. Oh, like why to keep going in the mom thing. That's right, okay. When you're a self-made business person, 
um, you kind of, there, there's gotta be something to keep you motivated because otherwise there's no one else there motivating you, right? You create your own paychecks. And with that in mind, it, I think that's like my next step of like what's keeping me passionate about it. Um, trying to do this journey now with a family, with mm-hmm. a ski family mm-hmm. and, and making that a visual thing too, because a lot of mothers have in a, that came before us just once they became a mother, they, they stepped away. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's like, well, but we're still skiing and we are there. The, there's this demographic in the skiing snowboard industry or outdoor industry. Mothers don't just stop doing sports just because they have kids. Totally. Right. So, so we are valuable marketing tools and why not, Continue, continue doing this. Story. If, totally. Yeah. If we, this is, if we're passionate about it and we still love doing it. And so, um, yeah, that's, it's, that's got me fired up. Yeah. Good. I like that. I love that. Actually. Some of my biggest inspirations, like Bonnie Zellers comes to mind and, and I mean, she was a professional snowboarder, I think in the eighties and nineties. And, um, her, her career was definitely, she was over it by the time she had kids, but to see her now and she hikes like I don't know. I've been on some like massive days with her, like oh, fourth day in and we're yeah. going 4,500 yep. vertical feet. And I'm like, yes, she is my inspiration. That yeah. longevity, that drive to continue to be in the mountains is, it's really important. It really is. And yeah. you just don't stop just because you have a family, you Yeah, know? and it's just a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, and But that's I, reality. That's it, real life. That's actually is. so relatable. It is. Yeah. And I think that's just what trying to get to a point now where we're trying to get ski companies to realize how valuable um women are at all phases of our lives yeah you know so um yeah that's our next next step we're just waiting for you to get on board now (laughs) patience young jedi (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, one day um yeah. Wow. That's awesome. So this year you did get out with Cody for a 50 project yeah. for a classic. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. Which is now online. Which line did y'all go ski? We skied seven steps. Um, it How? was a pretty, it was a great ski in the sense that like the powder was just phenomenal that day. It all lined up really well. Um, it was a good trek. It was like 15 miles round trip, I think. That's a good trek it was. for being a new mom. Yeah. And you're pretty open about yeah. it in the film too. Yeah. Um, which I appreciate. It was, it's funny because Cody made it sound like I was just off the couch kind of thing. I'm like, well, I wasn't literally off the couch. I was getting out and like going for tours, but short tours, like yeah. an hour here, an hour there. Just with the amount of time, like trying to just get in snippets when you have your child at home and trying to get someone to watch them for just a few minutes and yeah, how and did you lack both manage that stuff. this year? Um, we'd trade off and then we would hire, we, we had, um, someone help out a little bit too. We had yeah. a nanny when we were up in BC for a little bit. Um, but it was definitely the trade off and, and you can only do so much. So going back to the whole, like you're getting no sleep yeah. still. So, yeah. um, it was a massive day compared to anything I had done. Totally. At that point. I mean, that's a big day just for anyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was great. I'm glad I got out there and did it. It was funny because Cody going into it, just, it's not that he, he uh, doesn't, or excuse me, it's not that he discounts me in any way. It's more like, 
he just wanted to make sure that everything would go right. And he had, he was trying to think of all these ways that like, well, you know, I'll do this. If, if you are so tired, you can't make it and all this, or we'll do this or that or whatever. And I was like, stop, <laughs> I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. If that's the one thing having a kid in all the lack of sleep that you have teaches you is that you kind of can do anything. You really can. If you can just, if you're willing to suffer, <laughs> You yeah. just kind of push through it. Totally. I, I mean, in a somewhat same vein, I was on a trip one time with Red Bull um, that they basically lined up this trip. And I'm not going to go into the whole story because it's quite long, but it was designed by Navy SEALs and designed to replicate buds. And part of that was sleep deprivation. Yeah. And then pushing through that tiredness, like we'd walk for 24 hours in the outback in Australia and you'd be so exhausted and it's 115 degrees and you're like, oh, I still am capable of moving through the motions and like, Mm -hmm. yeah. I remember when you came back from that, you had this, it it was a big epiphany for you. You know, it it was a breakthrough for your own personal self of like my world just changed. Like I could, I view things differently, you know, yeah. of what I can put myself through. I totally. remember when you did that and I was kind of envious that mm. you had gone through that. I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a wild experience. Maybe one day I'll talk about it on the podcast, but yeah. um, there's a couple questions that I'd like to ask. I like to ask all of my guests. The first one's been really stumping people. So I've been mm-hmm. debating keeping it in here, mm-hmm. but most wild day of your life. Um, I mean, there's a lot of wild times, but since I went to Vegas recently, I'll bring up when we went to Vegas for my 30th birthday, just because it was such a, like a, a non mountain girl experience. Yes. Um, so we were going to, is my 30th birthday, we were going to a nightclub, but before that, like, my girlfriend, best girlfriend, Jess, she had a connection down there that was a guy that set people up of, like, getting into tables and things at these clubs and in the right places, and he had clients, and he would um, set these clients up with people around them, et cetera, so they could have a good time and whatever, so... Um, he had this situation where he was going to get us in and get us into some to sit next to his clients. Yeah, like at a table. yeah, exactly. Because they need VIP friends. His yeah, clients. I mean, friends or not, it's just kind <laughs> of like like filling pl- things out or whatever. Yeah. But it was to the point though that he came and met us um, at the pool at our hotel and stuff. I think to like give us the once over and like see if we were legit and he, you know, we could do that. So, but um, great, you know, like heck yeah, we're going to take this opportunity to get Mm -hmm. into a club and go sit in fancy, pantsy spot, you know? And we get there and we end up getting at this table with this uh, real estate tycoon from New York and his buddies. And um, it's just Cody and I, the three of us. And it was pretty wild, you know, the, the, everything's just flowing, um, it, you know, money's no object, but at one point, you know, Neo was playing in the club. That was the musical performance, and which is kind of ridiculous, but... Um, I gotta look Neo up. Yeah, like, not something like I would go out of my way to see. He just <laughs> yeah. happened to be playing. That's not why yeah. we were there. And he exchanged, like, a thousand dollars in ones, and uh, and then 
gave it to, well, actually, he had some other women with him, too. And But anyways, our table decided to make it rain. Back then, remember you'd hear about making it rain? I'm like, that's yeah. a legitimate thing. <laughs> we were at the table that made it rain in the club, and it was like we were... They were no just way. spewing the cash out over the tables, like the other VIP tables in our area that were below us, yeah. even. And, <laughs> and it was like, this is crazy. We're really making it rain You're right now. You're living in a music video. Yeah, it, that's what it felt like, a music yeah. video, like that's something amazing. just ridiculous. Like, so, you know, is this the most wild experience ever? By no, like, by no means is it that. It's just that for whatever reason that, that's just a funny one that popped in my head of like, <laughs> you like know, cause it. it's just very out of our normal scene. Totally. Right? That's like, kind of what I'm going for with that question. Yeah, like, like everything in Vegas is all about like your facade and, yeah. and how much money you have and how like, how much you can just flaunt wealth and whatnot. Right. And we just kind of got injected into it and, and then you made it rain. Cause why not? And made it rain on my 30th birthday. It was awesome. <laughs> It's so fun. I know. You always threaten me with a good time in Vegas, which I appreciate. You're like, your bachelorette party, we're going to Vegas. Yes, 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 yes. Um, which admittedly <laughs> would be the last place I would choose, but I kind of want to experience it with you now after that story. So anyways, the next question. It is fun to get dressed up. Totally. I love getting dressed up, and I love, they have so many fantastic um, restaurants, and all the shows and stuff are pretty amazing. Yeah, that's dope. Um, okay, the next question that I have for every one of my guests mm -hmm. is, and this is just like, this is totally from my mental coach, but we don't celebrate our successes that much. Mm -hmm. I feel like oftentimes we brush them under and keep on moving through, but I want to just give you space and time to celebrate, like, what is something in your life that you're super, super proud of? <laughs> um... It's funny because you can say how we try and be so humble and yet this whole conversation, I feel like it was about, oh, look at all these awards you won. Like that didn't sound very humble at all. Um, I think honestly becoming a, a mom is my new big thing because it's such a challenge. Um, I don't have a big aptitude for patience and you have to be with your child. And you, I would hate myself to just get so mad and not be patient with, with my little guy, you know? And you love him so much. And it's so, um, it, it's been a really good challenge to create more patience with myself um, to mm. be a mom. That's beautiful. Thanks. I like that one. Um, and so coming up in the future, is there anything that you want to talk about what you're excited about I've or got a top secret well no I've got a movie project in the works um Jackie Peso who is also another new mother we're teaming up to do a movie about becoming ski moms but not um not a serious movie and we're going to take it to some really fun ridiculous levels of becoming super competitive with each other as uh as moms as a whole um, yes be becoming caricatures like extreme caricatures of what you could be as a mom that um, rules. and having fun with it and um and yeah getting out and getting some really good ski footage as moms you know and like yeah. throwing down so whoa could you like double dip and hire one nanny for the two kiddos 
yeah feasibly yeah this is how we make it work we this come is together how we make it work yeah yeah totally it's been crazy though because in our talks and things we've had discussions with locations and and i mean this is part of the conversation of like nannies and things totally and it's weird and it's weird to bring it up and ask for it too or maybe not even so much you're asking or i don't know just involving that in not right. knowing what is a reasonable ask I guess, yeah, well, like I stuff. said, you are kind of paving the way for yeah. future moms in our industry and action sports yeah. to set that precedent. Like, why not ask and at least yeah. have that conversation? Totally. It's worth, it, that is one thing I've learned. You can, why not ask? Yeah. The worst they could say is no. Yeah. <laughs> and if you say, they say no and it doesn't work for you, then that's all right. Then you can move on and you can move in a different direction that does work for you. But yeah, um, yeah always ask. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm very excited to see that. Huge fans of you and Jackie. And other than that, check out Elise in the latest 50 projects release. Seven Steps? Yes, Seven Steps. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. it's a good one. Check that out. The yeah. 50 Project. I mean, Thanks. everyone knows about it. But I was happy <laughs> to see you out there in the mountains again. And other than that, too, Safe As Clinics will be touring this December and into January come learn and brush up on your avalanche awareness. It's kind of a refresher or your intro to avalanche awareness. Yeah. You can use it as either. It's a great refresher. I get refreshed from it. For sure. Teaching it, like that's helped me learn it a lot. Yeah, really has. Yeah. Awesome. Thank Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Care Less, Do More. I just wanted to end this podcast with saying that we intentionally didn't dive too deep into the avalanche incident that Elise was involved in. But there is a link in the show notes for her TEDx talk, which is a powerful talk, which Elise is giving all about the Stevens Pass avalanche incident. And there's another link to the New York Times article where you can dive a little bit deeper and gain a lot of knowledge and education from just reading that article. It's that time of the year where we're all brushing up on our companion rescue skills and taking courses, and you should be too. We're all on a lifelong apprenticeship of the mountains. Never stop learning, and we'll see you next time.